It's good to see you, City Church. Good to be back with you. Uh, I want to express, before I get into my message, I want to express my thanks uh, for all of the prayers that you've sent um, our way for uh, my wife and her recent medical situation that's been going on the last month or so. She's doing better, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. I also want to express my thanks to Sherry uh, Richard, who switched weeks with me last week when I was supposed to kick off this series so I could uh, get over the flu. I had it pretty bad. I felt sick as a dog, and I didn't want to spew it all over all of you guys. And so uh, Sherry graciously switched with me. And, and if I could just say, I, I really liked the way we kicked off the year with some dynamic, inspiring messages from our female pastors. I think they really knocked the ball out of the park, and I'm so grateful to both Michelle and Sherry for sharing with us. Now, in this series, I will ask you to do something courageous. I will ask you to courageously connect, maybe with a stranger. And courageous connection is important to me because it's made an impact in my own spiritual journey. Now, when I first got serious about following Christ, I sensed that I need to change my circle of friends and, uh, and I, like, I only had like one real strong Christian friend in my life, and he was going away to college, and I was starting college at UTSA. And so I really didn't know any believers who were going to be here studying with me. And so I took a risk. Uh, the first few weeks of school, I went to this meeting for Christians who went to UTSA, and I didn't know anybody. And I just showed up, and I got connected and the bonds that I formed with those guys shaped who I became. They really impacted my spiritual journey in a powerful way. And ever since those days, where, <coughs> wherever I've landed, I've looked for a group of guys to courageously connect with. Because I believe we are better together. Now, 2,000 years ago, Jesus began a movement he called the church, and he expected that church uh, to be filled with people who would courageously connect with each other because we are better together than we are alone. And city church exists so all people can believe and thrive in Christ. And a part of thriving in Christ is courageously connecting because we are better together. Now, this isn't just about faith, all right? This is about science. Dr. John Cacioppa is a neurologist at the University of Chicago, and he has conducted research for decades <coughs> on the biochemical impact of connectedness and its opposite, loneliness. And he discovered that our brains are favored, are, are wired to favor interdependence. In other words, we were created for connection. And he asserts that feelings of loneliness, when you feel lonely, that should drive you toward connection, just like when you feel hungry, you recognize you need calories. And his research reveals that human strength rests ultimately not in our individual might, but in our collective abilities. And he concludes, we prosper most by banding together as couples, families, tribes, and communities. In other words, we are better together. 
Now, this issue is critical for us as a church movement because we live in a society plagued by what I, <coughs> what I would call relational dysfunction. And it's led to nearly epidemic levels of loneliness. One survey said that in 1980, 20% of Americans felt lonely. But today, more than 40% of Americans feel lonely. And the prevalence of loneliness is having disastrous effects on us and on our lives. Researchers studying loneliness have identified these adverse effects on our lifespan. Get this. Living with air pollution, all right, increases our risk of dying by 5%. Living with obesity <coughs> increases our risk of dying by 20%. Excessive drinking increases our risk of dying by 30%. And loneliness increases our risk of dying by 45%. So are you a part of the 40% of Americans who would say that you feel lonely? Have you become disconnected from meaningful relationships? As a faith community, we believe that God has wired us to crave connection because it causes us to thrive in life. <clears throat> and so this year, I want you to know as your pastor, I am committed because I really believe it's good for you and for me I'm committed to see everyone get connected to someone, all right? Everyone connected to someone. Now, <clears throat> when Jesus started this movement, his followers instinctively gathered together because they sensed that they would be better together. And so when the church movement began, it began just a few days after Jesus ascended into heaven, those first believers gathered together and they prayed. And within a few days, one of their leaders named Peter preached the very first church sermon. And after he preached that message, thousands of people believed in Jesus and got baptized. And those believers instinctively knew they needed to gather together. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. <clears throat> All the believers were what? Together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet what? Together in the temple courts. And then they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about that first church, with all of those church activities, is that people who did not believe yet still felt welcomed in their environment with all of those activities. That first church created a church culture where spiritual investigators felt welcome to be in their presence and in their activities. <clears throat> and that means our church culture has to be designed with people in mind who don't believe yet. And we work hard at that. We are intentional about creating a church uh, culture for people who don't get church and don't go to church. 
We work hard to create a church culture where spiritual investigators can come no matter where they are in their spiritual journey and ask their hardest questions. We work hard to create a culture where people can come with messy lives wherever they are in their journey and explore our faith, and we hope they'll embrace our faith. (coughs) But I also want you to notice that this passage says that they devoted themselves to all of those activities. Nobody had to make them devote themselves, right? No one had to make them devote themselves to Jesus' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and all those (coughs) activities that they did. And this is an important distinction. Let me tell you why. And some of you know why. Because too many times church leaders read about all those church activities and they try to guilt people into coming to all of their church activities, right? And how many of you know that false guilt like that is a terrible motivator to come to anything that you're trying to gain spiritual benefit? It's terrible. It ends up repelling. False guilt ends up repelling the very people we're here to connect with and serve. (coughs) Now, a few years ago, and y'all just got to put up with my cough. I'm still just sort of hanging in there. Don't let it distract you, all right? So a few years ago, I was traveling back from Dallas on an airplane, and I was reading a leadership book. And the lady sitting beside me noticed the book, and we, she asked me some questions about the leadership principles in it. We you know, struck up a conversation, found out that she had been a principal for decades here in San Antonio. And so we talked about the leadership principles in the book, and talked a little bit about her life, found out that her husband had tragically died a few years earlier. So I talked to her a little bit about her family and and the school she had served in. And then then she asked me the question that you know was coming, what do you do for a living, right? And of course, whenever I say, well, I'm a pastor, that's normally like a giant buzzkill to all of the conversation. It normally ends about right there. Anyway, so I told her I was a pastor, and I asked her, hey, do you go to church anywhere in San Antonio? She said, only on special occasions. And I thought that was an interesting uh, answer or response. And so I asked a follow-up question. Why do you only go to church on special occasions? And she paused for a moment like she was trying to decide, am I going to get vulnerable and really tell this pastor why I only go on special occasions or am I just going to clam up? Well, she leaned forward and she said, you know, I grew up going to church. And I've gone to a couple of churches here in town. But I always left feeling guilty, like I could never measure up to church expectations, and like I never attended enough church activities. And then she said this, and I wrote it down so I would remember it. She said, when I go to church, I need to be inspired and encouraged. And I never got that, so I stopped going. City church exists for people like Jen. We work hard to create an inspiring environment where people, no matter where they are in their spiritual journey, will come and feel encouraged, challenged, inspired by our faith, and we work hard to create an environment where believers will be challenged and inspired to grow in our faith because that is how we thrive in life. And a part of thriving involves courageous connection. Now, I'm going to make some of you get uncomfortable tonight, all right? So I want us to go back to Acts 2.42 and look at how these believers courageously connected. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. 
<coughs> so when the first church got together, they studied, the, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. So what does that mean? The apostles taught based on the, the teachings of Jesus, his interpretations of the Old Testament. And so the apostles would pass on what Jesus passed on to them. And so that's why every week when we get together here at City Church, we take a portion of the service to study the scriptures, to study Jesus' teachings and the scriptures that meant so much to him. We're continuing that tradition. The first church also devoted themselves, thank you, they also devoted themselves to what the scripture called fellowship. Now that term translated fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. Can you say that with me? Koinonia. Koinonia literally means to participate with, to share something, to forge a close relationship. So in other words, these believers were not just devoted to God and to the teachings of the apostles. They were devoted to each other. I want us to get this. This is the part of the first church that we need. City church needs this. We need to get to the place where we are absolutely devoted to each other. And so the concept of koinonia pictures people who did life together. People who shared their joys and their burdens together. People who served each other as they were pursuing the cause of Christ together. Koinonia is the courageous connection that we all crave. And I think, I think I'm going to get a little nerdy on you. I think that's why the first Lord of the Rings book is called The Fellowship of the Ring. Come on now. Because Frodo and his companions, right, they went on a quest together. They shared life together. And they forged koinonia. It's in there. It's in the Lord of the Rings, baby. Koinonia. They courageously connected. And according to this passage, the first church forged connection by breaking bread together, which meant they ate together. And <laughs> you know, you have casual conversations. That's how you get to know people, right? You share a meal with them. And they also connected by praying for each other. And I think that implies that they got honest about some of their struggles, some of their challenges in life. And how many of you know that when you can really be honest about what you're struggling with, so somebody will pray with you, that is one of the ways that we connect together. And they did this. This first church got connected. Now notice one final aspect of their courageous connection. This is verse uh, 44 through 46. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. All the believers were together. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so that description to me, like when I pictured it, it sounds like a bunch of hippies in the park smoking pot living in a commune, right? <laughs> Not that I know what that's like. I've just heard things about it, right? So what was, what was going on here? It's important to understand that this was a very unique situation because the feast of Pentecost had happened. And this is one of the great feasts of the Jewish people. And so what would have happened is there would have been Jewish people from all over the Roman Empire who would have descended to the city of Jerusalem to gather and celebrate. If, if you could picture like Niosa here in San Antonio where thousands and thousands of people, you know, descend on the downtown San Antonio. Well, that's what happened in Jerusalem. Only they stayed for a whole week. And normally when these, uh, uh, these people came to celebrate, they brought enough provisions to get there and back and for the week that they were there for the celebration. But 
And what happened was, because so many of them believed in Jesus, they didn't want to go home after just one week. And so this created a temporary need for housing and food for those thousands of strangers. And so the first church committed their finances to serve those strangers, to serve their community. They rearranged their finances to fulfill the purpose of the church in their community in their day. And that financial commitment took their uh, connection, their courageous connection to a new level. And here at City Church, we continue the practice of the first church. We do ask our people to tithe, which means to give 10%. And we use those monies to serve the purpose and the needs of the church here in our community in our day. And to serve, to provide the services and programs that serve you. And to serve those who are in need, both locally and around the world. Because we believe we are better together. And so that first church devoted themselves to courageously connect by worshiping together, by studying the apostles' teachings together, by breaking bread together, <coughs> and by praying together. And they made their world a better place because they connected together. We are better together. God wired us to crave connection. And that's why this year I am so committed to get everyone connected to someone. Now, I want to go back to Dr. Cacioppo's research because he identified three different levels of connection that were found to be beneficial for all of us. All right, you ready? So here's the first level of connection. He called it relational connection. That's where we just share good times with other people. So that can happen at like family gatherings, like when you have a meal, you know, Thanksgiving meal or something. It can happen when you go out uh, for dinner with some friends. It can happen when the girls go shopping or when the guys come over for poker night, especially if I win. <laughs> the second kind of connection he called collective connection. That's where we become a part of something bigger than ourselves to accomplish some cause. And so that can occur when you join a nonprofit organization to serve that organization. Even if you join one of the volunteer teams here at City Church, you do forge a deeper kind of connection with people when you serve with them and work with them. But then there's a third level of connection that he found that is so beneficial to us. He calls it intimate connection. And that's where we go deep with two to three people. And he says that our spouses can and should be one of those deep, intimate connections, but we all need a person or two with whom we can be honest, brutally honest, about our greatest struggles and challenges. We need some people who will love us enough to speak the truth to us with love. We need some people who will be there for us in our darkest hours. We need some people we can call on at 2 a.m. in the morning when our world is falling apart. And that kind of connection, it doesn't just happen. You have to work at it. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes vulnerability. It takes honesty. And Jesus intended that the church would be the kind of place where people could make those intimate connections for our sake and for the sake of our world. So I am committed to see that everyone gets connected to someone. And during my break in December, I saw something that helped me picture what I'm, what I'm after for us as a church, a pretty large church. And so I was watching the PBS show, Earth. 
And this particular episode focused on the amazing flight patterns of starlings. <coughs> now, when attacked by an enemy like a falcon, millions of starlings will come together and fly in formation for protection. But what scientists discovered is that though it looks like all of these starlings, these millions of them are flying in tandem, they're not. They're not flying in tandem as a group of a million. They actually fly in flocks of seven. They are only in tandem with the seven starlings immediately around them. So they don't fly in a flock of a million, they fly in flocks of seven. And in the flock of seven, moving together, they make it impossible for the falcon to focus on any one of them. And so in their flock of seven, they find protection. They are better together. Okay, and this, I want you to hear me now. I'm asking you to find your flock. This year, find your flock of seven. Find those people who will fly in tandem with you. Those people who will have your back. Those people who will protect you and whom you will protect because we are better together. And so to help you find your flock in 2018, City Church is going to offer various city groups some will center around stages of life, some around spiritual growth, some around some uh, life issues like parenting or marriage or financial peace. We have over 30 different kinds of groups meeting at different times and different locations. We will have a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University group. And if you're in that season, you know, I've been there myself where you need some financial help, maybe that's the right group for you. <coughs> if you're a student, middle school or high school, you heard uh, Gage a few moments ago talk about the right way for you to connect. And students, I want you to find your flock. Some students who are, who are on the faith journey with you. That will help you when you go to school. And so what I'm asking you to do is to pick a group that seems right for you and go for it. And if you don't see a group that, that looks interesting to you or that fits your schedule, we also will offer community nights right here on our campus on Tuesdays at 7 in the video cafe. There you'll have one of our pastors offer a teaching, and then you'll break into groups, and you'll have a time to discuss the teaching and to pray for each other. So to sign up or to find out more information, you can go to our website at city.church or stop by the, <coughs> the center pavilion at the end of the service. But... Whatever you do, find your flock. I'm going to keep at it until you find your flock. And whenever I see you and I talk to you, I'm going to say, hey, have you found your flock? Have you found your flock? Right? And so I want to give you some advice as you're finding your flock because I'm a realist. Okay? So the first bit of advice is that no flocks are perfect. You know why? Because people are in them. And people aren't perfect. In fact, you know what I found in my, my 55 years? Some people are strange birds. <laughs> Some people think I'm a strange bird, right? And so what happens if you get into a group, you do what Pastor Brent asks, and it just doesn't seem to fit? Or there's a few strange birds in there. Come on. I'm just being honest. Stick it out, and when the group ends, that's cool, find another group. What I'm asking you to do is to keep flying in formation until you find your flock of seven, right? You keep at it and keep at it until you find your flock of seven, all right? Now, the second bit, bit of advice. 
Some of you will have to face your flock fears. You're going to have to overcome those fears that paralyze you from courageously connecting. And for some of us, that may be moving beyond our introversion. Okay, social scientists tell us that approximately 65% of all people are more toward the introverted side of the spectrum, right? So the vast majority of us are a little bit more introverted. And let's just be honest. Come on. It's, it's harder for introverts to go to new places and meet new people in new situations. Come on. That's why it takes courage. I'm asking you to do something courageous that is good for you, that God wired you to want to experience, which is courageous connection. And so I'm asking you to find your flock. And many of us, both introverts and extroverts, okay, let's be real, may have to overcome some bad experiences in previous flocks, because that can happen, right? You've gotten into a flock of some kind, and man, you had a bad experience. And so many of us will have to overcome a fear of rejection, or a fear of conflict, or a fear of change, or a fear of jerks, right? That's why it's going to take courage to find your flock. It's going to take courage to step out and try something new. It's going to take courage to meet with some strangers. It's going to take courage to become vulnerable about your struggles. It's going to take courage for you to be who you really are. It's going to take courage for you to find a place of belonging rather than just fitting in. It's going to take courage for you to open up about your greatest struggles and fears. It's going to take courage for you to find your flock. But the risk is worth it. The courage is worth it. Find your flock. Everyone connected to someone. Let's pray together. Lord God, you created us to crave connection and community because that's a reflection of your own image. And it's a beautiful thing. And you created us to benefit in life when we do connect with other people in meaningful relationships. And so, Lord God, <coughs> I ask that you would bless us as we pursue courageous connection together. I pray that you would stir courage in our hearts for those of us who feel a little bit fearful, for those of us who feel a little bit nervous. Give us courage. And I pray, Lord, uh, that you would bless those leaders of these groups. I pray that you would give them discernment and give them energy and give them wisdom as they lead their groups and as they foster community among us. And above all, Lord, I just pray that you would bless us as we connect with one another. And I pray that that would in turn build us up, strengthen us, and protect us on our journey. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.